Welcome to Syntax, where we deliver tasty treats for web developers. Hey, welcome to Syntax. In this episode, we're going to be talking about using CSS in JavaScript, a little bit of maybe the libraries involved in that, some of the what and whys, and uh, we're going to take this one pretty lightly because I know this is a fiery topic. So we're going to uh, just talk about this from based on our experience, sort of what we like and dislike about the different processes and libraries and stuff like that. So uh, to get things started, we want to have a word from our sponsor. Thanks so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode of Syntax. We'll talk a little bit more about them later on in the show, but make sure you head on over to freshbooks.com forward slash syntax and enter syntax into the how did you hear about us section. All right. Well, uh, we're going to kick it off talking about CSS and JS or inline styles. They don't seem to be called inline styles anymore, I think, because a lot of people got a bit butthurt over uh, that that um, they, they thought that it meant that you're actually writing your like styles in a style attribute on your HTML tag. And that's not what it is at all. Uh, CSS in JS is uh, essentially when you're writing an application in Vue or Angular or React or any of these things that is very component based, um, it's starting to make sense to couple your CSS that styles that component with that component itself. So that's the whole idea of CSS in JS where you couple those things Together, it's sort of throwing the whole separations of concerns out the window and saying more like, well, actually, uh, you probably do want this template and the CSS to, to be tightly bound together. So that's sort of that's sort of where I'm coming at it from. Maybe Scott has some ideas of what is styled components or what is CSS and JS and, and what problems does it solve? Yeah. So. Uh, you know, CSS and JS really starts to make sense, like you said, with this componentized workflow. And you end up really having your components existing. And, you know, things like uh, React Storybook, where you, you see your components isolated from the rest of your application, is, is a one way that really kind of opened up styled components for me. Because if you think about your components in isolation a lot, uh, sometimes that's hard to think about when you have either, I know it, not necessarily a massive style sheet, but even if you have your style sheet broken up via uh, partials and stuff like that, it, you still have essentially a massive style sheet and it's separate from your components. And so if you're thinking about these things in isolation, it starts to make sense as to what aspects of these components in isolation are unique to these particular components that are styles that you're never going to see elsewhere in your app, or at least maybe not going to see in the same sort of way. So in that, for me, in that case, that's when it really starts to make sense when you have these uh, individual components that, uh, you know, you start to actually understand a little bit more about the hierarchy of the design um, by having these components in sort of isolation. Uh, so yeah, that, that's where it is for me. I, I think um, if we think back to the React episode where we're talking about, sometimes this stuff seems a little bit harder than it should be at first. Um, a lot of the benefits of, of these things that seem like a little bit more work up front uh, definitely pan out in maintainability and simplicity in, in the long run. So if you think back to any website you've maybe been working on for more than three years, chances are that you have a lot of CSS in that website. And chances are that you have a lot of styles that accidentally get applied to other pieces on the page. Because um, up until uh, just a couple of months ago, maybe six months ago, CSS doesn't have a concept of scoping, meaning that everything is absolutely global. So if you style a p tag uh, in one file and then you try to style a, a p tag in another file, those styles are going to conflict. You got specificity wars. Maybe you have styles that are leaking outside uh, and up and accidentally applying to other things. Now there's lots of things you can do to. Um, to sort of fix that using a, a methodology such as BEM will, will definitely fix that for you. Um, but this takes it a little bit further and actually scopes the CSS to that specific component. So you're absolutely sure that nothing will ever leak outside uh, and apply to any other elements on the page. So it's a huge for win for maintainability, a huge win for large teams. Some of these companies have I don't know, 20, 30 developers touching the CSS at any given time. Um, and that can be a nightmare when it comes to 
making sure that you're not actually breaking something. Imagine JavaScript was all global variables and you didn't have the concept of scope. That's sort of a problem that you can you could run into with CSS. And I say could because a lot of people don't have CSS woes. And and I think a lot of the JavaScript people are coming in here and trying to fix problems that people don't necessarily have or don't necessarily know that they have. So um, maybe take this episode as just have an open mind. Um, I definitely still have an open mind about it. Some of the stuff doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. A lot of the other stuff is like, oh, this is actually nice after using it. So yeah, yeah, and I, I'm definitely the same way. I think uh, too often we have these things that are uh, people see them as one or the other, black or white. It's either you have to uh, accept CSS and JavaScript as your overlord, or you are working entirely in CSS and embracing yeah. the cascade. And for me, I'm like, I'm somewhere in the middle. I embrace the cascade, and I still use CSS with my styled components in many cases. Uh, and you know, you use these styled components for these things that you need that that scoping for. But you know, I'm not essentially, uh, you know, super super stuck in any particular way. It's it's more of like let's see what works well for me. And right now, using styled components uh, has been working very very nicely for me. Um, so definitely one of those things. And I think one of the concerns that, uh, people have a lot of the times, the concerns that people have, I think are either based out of, uh, fear of using something they, you know, why would I do this? Right. So then they, they start to look for reasons why, um, to support that. And, and some of those reasons might be, well, okay. Inline styles performance is worse than, you know, uh, CSS performance. But if you look at libraries like styled components, what it's actually doing is adding classes to your divs and writing CSS to attach to those classes. So it's generating unique classes that you don't have to ever worry about interacting. I mean, they're, they're you know, unique ID identifiers. So uh, it's not actually inserting uh, CSS into your style tags on your elements. It's writing real CSS, right? So I think a lot of these things are maybe misunderstandings about how these libraries are being used or maybe just fear out of trying something totally foreign, right? I remember when I first saw people talking about using CSS and JavaScript, I think my eyes rolled so hard that I like <laughs> yeah. damaged them permanently. I was just like, oh, I can't, I keep people trying to do everything in JavaScript. And uh, obviously that's a, a bad reaction because, you know, it, that's limiting sort of your creativity, so, you know, I opened my mind a little bit, tried it out, and sure enough, guess what? I'm using it, and I like it. So uh, that's that's sort of how it goes. Yeah, give it a chance. Um, I, I think it maybe should just be called, like, CSS in JS for writing, but then it turns out to be CSS at, at the end of the day or something like that because it does eventually get compiled down to raw CSS, and it is injected into your page via a CSS file or via... Uh, a style tag when that component mounts. So um, it's really nice for that. As well as one other point I should I should mention about this is um, maintainability. Like how many of you, gut check, how many of you have some CSS right now and you don't know if you're allowed to remove it? Mm -hmm. uh, how, mm -hmm. If you look at some CSS, you should be able to um, say, I can totally delete that with confidence and know that it will not break my app. Or if you don't no longer use a component, that CSS should no longer make its way in uh, for the party in your final bundled CSS file. So it's kind of kind of nice to be able to do that. I know there's tools out there that will scan your page and look at what you have, but uh, this is definitely a much saner way to to do it. Yeah. So I mean, do you want to do some? Want to run down some pros and cons here? I mean, since we're kind of doing that right now, I guess in this little intro. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess a pro would be maintainability and uh, the ability to delete CSS, figure out, just keep your CSS as lean as possible. Don't ship anything that you don't necessarily need to. Yeah, that 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 is a, a great point. I mean, reduce your bundle size overall, reduce your initial download size. And if you're doing like code splitting and all that sort of stuff and your CSS is in those JavaScript files, that goes along with that. So uh, you're not you're only loading what you what you need at that given point. Uh, yeah. Another, you know, pro is um, interaction with JavaScript and the environment. So being able to accept props and uh, JavaScript properties into, well, I'm in React, I guess. Uh, I should mention that I speak on this as using styled components uh, with React and not any of the other um, 
front-end frameworks, really. So uh, being able to pass in props and actually modify or have real JavaScript logic in your CSS or yep. in your, yeah, I mean, that to me is a, a nice killer feature. You can develop some really nice complex components that accept properties to modify them and things like that. Yeah, how many times have you wanted an if statement inside of CSS? Some. I don't know, maybe seven uh, or I don't know how many times I've wanted <laughs> enough it, but times, yeah, enough. enough that uh, I think about like, huh, it would be nice. Or um, you've had to pop in a media query uh, just for one little thing to, to do a check, or you've had to write some hack in CSS and being able to have full access to a programming language inside of your CSS um, is super helpful. I also think it makes for a much better readability in your code. So uh, if you use styled components, you end up having a component with ever whatever name. So you're essentially trading class names for components, if you think about it that way. And so if you have, instead of having a dot card or whatever, if you have a card class name, you now have a card component and you're not reading div class name card, rather you're just reading card. That's what it is, right? So it's not a div with the descriptor of card. It, it is a card. And to me, that really helps with readability when I'm looking at my, my React code overall. Yeah, I think one big con, um, and I think as a, a people, what, why people have a bit of a knee jerk reaction to it at first is that it doesn't look always like CSS. There's a couple, we'll talk about this more when we get into it, but some of the implementation of CSS and JS do not look like CSS and people love writing CSS. They love the syntax. And if you ask them to switch to something that looks a little bit different, whether using camel case instead of dashes or whether you've got these arrow functions all over the place for media queries instead of just writing a proper media query. Yeah, the syntax can be a little bit funky. Um, and I definitely am a huge proponent of you should still be able to write regular CSS in these files with your regular syntax hiding with your regular uh, shortcuts and everything because it shouldn't feel like you are trading off something in order to get the benefit. You should be able to just write your regular CSS in these. So that's totally possible with some of these libraries. Yeah. And uh, another, uh, that's another con is the tooling, right? Um, how many things that you're used to that you use all the time in CSS that go out the window. Uh, for me, it's things like Emmet or I used to use Hayaku on Sublime Text, but the tooling just isn't there yet because you, I mean, you, your properties are uh, based on the library. They're not all the same. So you have all these different libraries and uh, the tooling for each library is up to essentially the uh, community around that library. So unless there's one you know, standout winner amongst everything like that, the tooling's going to suffer a little bit because at the end of the day, there's a billion more people writing CSS than there is uh, CSS in JavaScript. So um, for me, I found that that to be a bit of a pain point, not being able to use my uh, keyboard shortcuts that I'm totally used to within CSS. Yeah, and I, I think that this is just a temporary problem. I've looked into a lot of these like kind of selfish developer pain points that I've had around tooling and syntax highlighting, and, and they are all being worked on. So I think yeah, that absolutely. you've got a lot of people blazing the way right now in, in a year or so. Um, it's going to be very comfortable to be able to to write uh, your CSS and JS in, in your regular editors. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it has gotten better. I mean, when I first started, there wasn't a, a syntax highlighting for styled components. And then sure enough, like a week after, there was a syntax highlighting for styled components. So it is growing. It's a, a new thing. And with new things, it's always a little bit of a lag behind on, on stuff. Um, so yeah, what are, what are some other pros and cons here? One of the cons that a lot of people say is that it's ugly. And I used to be this way about BEM. You know, with BEM, you write these really crazy long CSS classes and then you apply your CSS to it. Uh, and people, myself included, you get so hung up on writing beautiful CSS when at the end of the day, it really should just boil down to like, is this maintainable and is this going to do the best job for my CSS? So with BEM, you yeah, you have to write a, your HTML is a little bit fuller, but no one cares what your HTML looks like. It doesn't have to be beautiful. You can have a thousand class names or you can have really long class names on it. Um, and it's not going to be a problem. So um, with style components, it will and most of these libraries will generate a unique class and apply it to your element. So it'll be like 4H99A51. 
And then it will have that selector in a style tag or a CSS file that then correlates with that actual element. So that looks ugly, but again, that, that's something a source map can do. And again, a source map is something that will show you as you've authored it in your source file rather than the compiled output, which you shouldn't be fretting all too much about. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's a pro that uh, is kind of... Yeah, interesting. Something I kind of ran across by accident. Even I was developing sort of a elements folder for myself of of a structure of of basic elements of styled components for my Level Up Touch site. And in that process, I found out basically if you're containing uh, each of these elements in a file, you can export these in a way where you could export everything, import everything, and sort of generate a style guide for yourself just simply through JavaScript, right? You could grab all of these components that are defined in a file. You can output them any way you'd like, and then you get these style guides. And if I were to add another component to that file, uh, it would just add it to the style guide for me. So using the component's name and whatever structure I determined it to have. But either way, that was like such a huge thing because sure enough, I just I made a kitchen sink page for myself yeah. in absolutely no time. I didn't have to write the HTML myself. I just said, hey, go in this file, grab me all these components. I'll put them in this way, and then that's it. Uh, so that was such a huge benefit for me. It was like an automated style guide that I didn't even have to think about. Absolutely. I, th I think the, the last pro that I have here is shareability. Kind of similar to what you said is that these things are literally scoped into themselves and you can bring them anywhere that you want them. So uh, if you have a specific button or a specific grid and you a lot of people have multiple applications, multiple code bases and trying to get those things to look the same across all of your apps um, is hard. So if you can build something where you can just npm install a component and the CSS comes along for free, uh, or you can you share them between all your applications, it's going to be a lot easier to maintain uh, a consistent style across all your apps. Yeah, and they're easy to extend with that, right? So if you have maybe your own library of base components, I know yeah. installed components, you can take that, let's say that card and do card.extend and then write any sort of modifications and it's just like adding an additional uh, class modifier in BEM or something like that. But either way, it's uh, taking that component that exists and, and modifying it. So uh, uh, just really, really nice way to collect your styles that need to be scoped to that particular thing, right? Exactly, exactly. So let's jump into some of the different libraries that there are there. Um, we're just going to go over the few that we know. I know that there are tons out there. It's really cool because there's a lot of people putting a lot of time and energy into figuring this, figuring this problem out. Um, and we're going to go through style components, radium, emotion, glamorous, and style JSX. Um, again, there's, there's a lot more out there. So uh, feel free to, to look into the different ones. Yeah, and I mentioned um, before, my experience is primarily through React. So if Angular and Vue folks, um, yeah, we I don't have the experience in styled components or or whatever you even call it, CSS and JS within Vue or uh, Angular myself. But I, I would assume that you know that the libraries are are there. Uh, so I, I guess I don't know if you know of any particular libraries for those platforms. Yeah, I, I know Vue itself has the built-in ability to write all of your logic, JavaScript, your templating, which is HTML-ish, and your CSS all in one single file, which is really cool as well. So it, it comes along with the, the whole idea of this being isolated from, from all of them. Yep, and today we have FreshBooks sponsoring us once more. Uh, thanks so much to them for sponsoring. If you haven't heard of FreshBooks by now, it's cloud accounting software, which is essential tool for anyone that runs any sort of small, medium, large size business. It needs to bill people, has expenses, has taxes, has all kinds of numbers that need to be put in. So uh, maybe for this one, I want to focus on one of my favorite parts of FreshBooks, which is the iPhone or the Android app. Uh, a lot of my business is done on the road. Uh, and I don't necessarily have time to just sit down at my computer. So uh, the app is really, really good for checking who owes me money, who is paid. Uh, often what I used to do is when I deposited a check into the bank and then I'd forget to mark it as paid. And then uh, two months later, I'd be like, did they pay that or didn't they? Uh, so now what I do is I just open the app as soon as I deposit the check, mark it as paid. If I've got a receipt, I'll take a picture of it. 
fantastic app. If you're running any sort of small business, go for freshbooks.com forward slash syntax and enter syntax into the how did you hear about a section. Thanks so much to them for sponsoring. Um, so let's start off. I'll kick it off with style components. This is probably the one that Scott and I both have the most um, experience with. So we'll probably talk most about this. Um, and it seems to be the most popular one out there. Not that you should just go ahead and pick that one, but it's definitely one that you should be considering if you're look, looking at different ones out there. So the way that style components works, and uh, a lot of people say when you when you pick up CSS and JS and you you learn it, you go, you go that's it. And it's funny because it really isn't all that complicated. So uh, let's say you wanted to create um, a button. Uh, the way that it works is that you uh, import the styled uh, from style components into your JavaScript and styled has all of the the elements built into it. So what all of your regular elements, your your anchor links, your buttons, your uh, h1 through h6, your paragraph, your div, your, any element you're used to select, you're used to styling in HTML, you just say um, const button equals in this example from their website style dot a. So if you want to make a anchor link, that has some style applied to it, you just create a brand new component that is called a button or called a buy it now or called, uh, I have one called take my money in an app I'm building <laughs> right now because it's it's like a really shiny, nice button that displays uh, the product name as well as the uh, how much it costs and, and whatnot. So what that does is you use a style.a and then you use ES6 backtick. So this is using something in ES6 called a tag template literal. Um, and it's kind of like being able to run a function against uh, a string. So you just you just write style.a or style.p or style.div, whatever element you want to use. You open up your backticks. And then inside of that, you just write all of your regular CSS that needs to be applied to, to that. So uh, you can say display block, background red, uh, margin to rem width, and you can use JavaScript with your dollar curly brackets inside of any of these if you ever need to do any sort of um, any sort of logic inside of it. Uh, so then once you have that, and, and you can of course do uh, nested selectors as well. Sometimes people think like, seriously, I have to make a new one for like, can I not just select the span inside of it, or can I not just select the paragraph inside of this div? And the answer to that is yes, you can just do. Uh, child selectors like you would in SAS or Stylus or anything like that. Apply all of it. And then when you want to go to use it, rather than adding a class to your div, you just have, or adding a class to your button, you just have this new component called button. And you, you use the button in your markup or in your JSX as if you were using just an anchor tag. Uh, and you can give it all of the other properties that you uh, are then used to. And it will render out to a proper anchor tag. So, yeah. Scott, how did I do in explaining that? You I fill in the gaps. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know that um, the using the back ticks as a, a function was something that I had never seen before. I used style components, and it was really, really like, wow, you can do that. It was is a really good moment for me because I had no idea you could do that before this. Uh, but one of the things that impressed me most about styled components compared to its counterparts was that you aren't writing a different syntax. You're writing CSS inside of that that string, right? Inside of that string, you're still using display colon inline hyphen block semicolon, right? I mean, it's it feels just like writing CSS, and you're not having to uh, do your camel cased properties and stuff like that or camel cased values. And I really, really appreciated that because what it did make uh, because what it made was it made really like converting CSS over to styled components really easy because I could just copy and paste it. Now, granted, I was pasting from stylus, so I had to go in and add colons and semicolons <laughs> and that kind of you made had me to bummed. Add it in. Yeah. yeah, I had to, I quickly Googled uh, stylus syntax and styled components only to find, you know, there's, there's nothing out there. You really. know what? Somebody tweeted me like two days ago with a screenshot of um, the ability to use stylus in backticks. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not adapted for style components yet, but it looks like it's coming. And he, he sent it to me specifically because uh, they know that I love stylus. So nice. pretty excited about that. Yeah, I would I would be down with a discount for that because I am just 
uh, you know, I've been using this and, and that is the only, the only pain point for me is having to add in the colons and semicolons. But for the most <laughs> part, I really loved the system within style components more so than the other options because it felt very comfortable to, mm -hmm. uh, to me as a, a CSS writer, you know, I mean, my background primarily is in CSS and front end tools more so than JavaScript, right? So uh, coming in and being able to write the CSS that I'm so used to was like a really, really important thing for me. Um, and, and to me, I think uh, some of these things like being able to pass in props and access your JavaScript as easily because it's a it's just string interpolation, it's all in backticks, right? So using that dollar sign bracket it's just JavaScript syntax that you know and love, uh, and being able to inject that actual JavaScript into your CSS, I found to be extremely powerful. Um, some of the pain points for me with styled components are things like uh, media queries. Uh, I've, you define your media queries a certain way, but then after that, the syntax highlighting and tooling is sort of not caught up. So if I do a media query and I, I do it using the syntax that styled components uh, defines here in their documentation, right? In VS Code with my setup, it, it everything inside of the media query like just becomes a flat string color now. So it's now oh, that yeah. like green or whatever I have it set to, and it doesn't get the proper syntax highlighting like everything else does. So uh, minor pain point there. I don't know if that's just a tooling thing that will get updated at some point and eventually be totally gone. Uh, but I, I did find some things like that a little little clunky. Uh, but for the most part, really liked it. All of their documentation is excellent. It shows you really uh, uh, practical examples about getting started. You can use it as much or as little as you need to. Um, you don't need to use any of the advanced stuff like theming and um, things like that, but you can if you want to. And they're all there and the documentation is there and it's uh, good, which is definitely one of those things that, you know, is easy to take for granted when documentation is uh, complete and and good, right? Yeah. Um, and I want to run over one more example of um, something that you run into often, which is sort of doing a variant on a style that you have. So like, let's say you have a buy button and uh, it's blue background, white text. Uh, and then you have like a sale buy button. And in that case, you would change the background to red or uh, increase the font size or put some confetti on it or whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and if that's the case, the question becomes like, what do I do? Do I just copy paste and make another component? Um, and the answer is obviously no. You, there's two ways you can you can sort of tackle that. The first is that you can um, you can pass props to your to your component, meaning that like you might have a, a button called take my money, and then you might have a a sale button that says take my money, and then it just has a sale attribute. So you just write sale or sale equals true. Um, and then when you are styling these things, you have this props object available to you and you can do a check with JavaScript, little turner, turnerary, I can never ternary? say it. Ternary. Ternary. Oh man. Is there it's an extra life. R in there? I don't know. I don't no, know. No, there's not. I just continually <laughs> screw it up. Anyways, you can just do a little turn, say it for me. Ternary. Ternary operator in there to check if there is like props.sale. And then if it's true, then you can write background blue. Now, if you've got 15, 16 styles that you'd like to change on that button, uh, in that case, you can just take your, your base button, not use props, and just extend it into a secondary button to maybe called a sale button. Uh, and then that will then you have two components, one that's based off of another one. But as we know, ex extending things can, uh, can get out of hand, so you gotta, you got to be careful with that. Yeah, and I found extending to be much nicer in something like styled components. And I don't know if it's just because of how you're viewing these things. I don't know yep. if the process is necessarily any different if you really think about it. But, uh, you know, I, I extend things to have, like, obviously I have a main button, right? Just button. And then I have, you know, primary button. And that yep. primary button extends off of main button and changes maybe the color or something like that. But then I use props, like you mentioned, for things like size. So like uh, size equals large or size equals small or whatever. And and that will determine, so I don't have a large primary button. I have a primary button with the property of large. Um, 
and so like making those decisions I found to be an interesting exercise in how you think about your components mm-hmm. and it has led to a lot more clarity in in how I, I think about scoping these things and obviously these things can all be done with CSS without JavaScript in some some sort of way but like I don't know if it's just the visual aspect but it just feels um, it feels more uh, I don't know just very like Clear. feels more better it yeah it feels more better and clear yeah. And, yeah, yes. <laughs> i think what it comes down to is when you actually wrote your initial css were you of the mindset where you did something like bem where you had like a button component and then you had a modifier on that so it's button dash dash large uh, and if that's the case then it gets all of the button styles and then you have a button dash dash large that will uh, overwrite or add those selectors onto it. Whereas there's a whole nother uh, set of people who prefer to have 12,000 classes like mm-hmm. PB10, Patty Bottom 10, FZ20, which was font size. And then you just like, you just like take these, what's the name of that? Oh, utility classes. Utility classes. Yeah, exactly. So those are, those it's just a bit of a different way. I think the people that prefer utility classes probably go a lot more heavy on props, whereas people like uh, more BEM style will probably do a little bit more extending. And I don't know if this is necessarily fits the definition of ironic or not, but to me, like utility classes, I'm not hating on these for utility class people, by the way. Uh, utility classes to me is much more of an inline style system than writing JavaScript in or CSS in JavaScript because you're essentially defining your styles through class names, right? Rather than, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, rather than their class descriptions or something like that. Like I said, I'm not trying to start a, a flame war here or something like that. <laughs> I, uh, I will accept any, anything that has its uh, share of benefits. Awesome. So that is style components. There's a whole lot more to it, but that's like, I hope, hope that you get like a basic idea of like, what is it and, and why does it seem to be, uh, uh, very popular. Yeah, so uh, so that's styled components. Next up, we have a library that's actually really similar to styled components in syntax, which is emotion. Now, emotion is sort of, it, it basically, I mean, a flat out says that it, it, it took the ideas from these other libraries, and it has a, a focus on making them a little bit lighter. Um, I was reading that the the performance, the, the overall bundle size is supposed to be smaller. However, I, I just headed to their their GitHub page, and I'm not necessarily seeing that being uh, pointed out anymore. Uh, uh, do you, do you know if that's changed in their system? No, this is actually not something I've ever. A, a lot of people have recommended it to me, but um, I don't really pay all that much attention because at the end of the day, I don't really have. CSS performance issues. Um, I think it's a bit a bit splitting hairs in in a lot of cases. I'm sure there's applications out there where you really need to to hunker down on it, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's never really been a, a huge issue for myself. There's this uh, bench CSS and JS benchmarks uh, GitHub repo which lists out all of the different ways, and there's probably 20 of them here. Um, and it will talk about the mount time and the render time that is used in that. And uh, let's take a look here at emotion. Yeah, so emotion has uh, the reason why I wanted to bring this up now is because it has the really similar syntax to styled components, where you're using the same backtick function style thing. The only difference is uh, you are using uh, a CSS, not styled. Uh, so it, it's very similar, I found to styled components in maybe like syntactical ways, uh, but just a little little bit nicer. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the render time here, and it looks like Emotion is the fastest besides React without any styles. Um, and then if you go down, the, go down the list to styled components, it looks like styled components is almost double uh, the render time. Hmm. So... Uh, definitely something to think about if, if you're running into issues with perf. Yeah. And as I'm seeing this, it looks like they do have the same styled object with, you know, all of the different, you know, HTML properties. So like styled.h3. So it looks like to hear from their syntax, you might be able to mostly do just a stand in drop in replacement from this to styled components. 
like I said, I, I don't have the experience using it, so I can't confirm that's true. But this example right here that I'm looking at looks just like styled components. So uh, yeah, it definitely one to keep an eye on. Pretty sweet. Um, so next up, we have another one, which is Radium. Is that correct? That is correct. And this is from Formidable Labs, which uh, they do quite a bit of stuff in the, in the React space. So it's something that I would definitely trust. Uh, have you used this one before? No, but this was the first library that I saw when people were starting to talk about libraries for styled components. Um, Radium was was one of the, the first to do it, I think, at least like a very more mature way. And I never used it. I think this when this came out, I was still in the whatever CSS and JavaScript sort of mode. And, and one of those reasons why that I was in that mode is because this is more JavaScript based where you are uh, defining an object of styles and it's all very JavaScripty, right? It actually feels more like writing styles in React Native or React in general, where you have an, an object, a property, uh, your, your CSS property becomes a, a, a object key and your value becomes a string or in some cases, is it they're all strings i'm not quite positive if they're all strings or not but most likely a string or something like that so to me it, it's it's a little bit more foreign and that makes me scared and uh yeah i think that's probably why i never latched onto it yeah this is just looking at the the base syntax of nested objects and uh having to use uh quotes around your actual values and and having to camel case maybe like font size instead of font dash size and all those things. I think that that's a lot of people don't care about that, but I think that most people will care about it. And especially if you're trying to bring on, maybe you have people on your team that write the JS and you have other people on your team that write CSS. There's no way you're, you're going to be able to convince those people. They're not going to be happy switching mm -hmm. over to such a, a rigid way of actually styling your application. So um, that's one reason why I have never checked uh, this out before and and I think that also goes for uh, for glamorous as well where uh, glamorous seems to do most of the stuff that comes along with style components but at the end of the day the fact that it uses camel case and an object to style your stuff is a bit of a deal breaker for me so it's a reason why I have not never checked it out yeah I think that is a it's a barrier to entry for CSS people who like writing CSS. And I mean, the, the joke all the time is that, uh, you know, everyone hates CSS, it sucks or whatever, but I love writing CSS. And I know a lot of people really like writing CSS, you know, embrace, embrace the cascade and all sorts of stuff, right? They, they just like, they come from this CSS background. And so for me, like you said, that is a deal breaker. It, it, pushes me a little bit too far into the I'm uncomfortable territory uh, mm -hmm. to necessarily like really reap any of the benefits. I mean, I can't copy and paste my CSS code that exists into a glamorous object without doing some heavy modification. It's not just adding uh, semicolons and colons or whatever. It's heavy modification. And that to me is, is a bit of a, a bummer that will put me off from using it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel exactly the same way. So um, have you used Glamorous before? No. Or, uh, taken a look at it? Um, I've taken a I look don't... at all of them. I did a a, a bit of a, a drive-by tour to like check out all of them <laughs> when I was like trying to see, you know, everyone was telling me about the hype, the hype, hype about CSS and JS. But most of the time people were mentioning styled components. So mm -hmm. I, I had that one in my mind just like, hey, this is the one I really want to look at because my audience is telling me about it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I was like, I don't want to make a decision because my audience is telling me about it. I want to explore all of these. And like I said, I did a, a bit of a tour and was just like really not feeling the the uh, JavaScript object syntax. And like I said, that that is probably because I come from a CSS primarily background than, rather than a, a JavaScript heavy background. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that if you are still out making a decision, for sure, take a look at all of these and, and make your own decisions. I know that when we announced that we're doing a CSS and JS uh, podcast, I got messages from at least four people being like, hey, uh, can I chat with you before you do that to make sure that you know absolutely everything about this? Because the stakes are high and there's a lot of a lot of stuff moving quickly right now and there's a lot of misconceptions around this stuff. So definitely don't take everything that we're saying to heart. Uh, do your own research and, and take, take a look into to all of it.
Yeah, for real. Yeah, I think that is a, a big thing. And it, it's just fiery, right? People get really, yeah. really upset about this. <laughs> I More so than any, like most other, I mean, people get upset about like JS frameworks or uh, databases or whatever, but like people get upset about CSS and JavaScript. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely do your I, own I research and what works for you. I definitely think the, the JavaScript community came at it a little bit harsh uh, because it was kind of like like kicking someone's door down and being like, "Don't worry, I'm here to save you." But and then people are just sitting there writing their BEM styles, being like, "Uh, I'm I'm pretty happy. I'm fine. Thank you, though." And then they're, "No, you must use this." So uh, sometimes when people are so passionate about it, whether it's being a vegan or CrossFit or CSS and JS, um, they could come off a little hard. Um, but definitely don't let that deter you from actually checking these things out and, and seeing some of the, the, the real benefits to that. Yeah, and I'm going to take a moderate stance here and say that I like it, but I also have not abandoned my CSS or my global styles. Like, I do use global styles still, and I do use CSS still in addition to styled components. It doesn't have to be your in or your out. You can use a little bit of styled components where it makes sense, and you can use a little bit of CSS where it makes sense. It's all about, you know, what works for you and what makes sense within, uh, you know, whatever's maintainable within your code and your team. I have the added benefit of being the only developer on my site. So it's like, uh, I'm the only developer. I can make these choices and I can deal with a little bit of transition pain while I move things over and, and can keep some of my CSS and JS and some of my uh, CSS and stylus. And Exactly. How, yeah. how do you, like, let, let's take a question here. How do you handle global styles and what do you do for that are global styles? Yeah. So for me, I, I have global styles really set up in, in a really basic sense of just like straight up element stuff. So I determine what my H3 will look like, what my you know H2 will look like, whatever my headers, my paragraphs, all that sort of base size, along with like uh, what what they do at different um, browser sizes. So I am still thinking as like, hey, this is an H3. This is what H3s look like. I'm not always thinking, hey, this is a card header. This is what the card headers look like. And obviously, you can go all the way with that and make out all your elements, um, you know, really, really scoped components. But you know, I don't, I don't mind. I have a H3s across my site, and this is what they look like. Period. And if I want to modify those inside of those, I can uh, use styled components. Let's say I have a card, and you can have that scoped uh, H3 inside of your card. Well, inside of the card, the H3 is now all of a sudden this size or these colors or whatever. And that is scoped to that card because that's the only way it's used. So I have basically a general rule set applied to things like font sizes, font styles, um, basic colors and stuff like that defined in my CSS. And then most everything else moved into components. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same way. I've been moving over, uh, moving over to that way as well. If I find that it's a bit too slow and I don't necessarily know if that's the way to go is to to redo all of the font size and padding for all of your type in every single component. Uh, so what I'll do right. is I'll yeah. style out all my headings, all my paragraphs, all the the fonts, all of the the padding, and I have a nice quick base style. And then I can I feel like I can work quickly once I have that base style done because I'm not spending a lot of time redoing the same work over and over again. Obviously, you can you can set uh, a set of base styles. And import and export them into your your components every single time. But uh, at least for me, being the only developer, I don't have. It's not really a pain point for me um, that that I have. So I'm fine with having them global, and, and it, I feel like I can work a lot quicker yeah. that way. And for me, it's more of a a personalized CSS reset, right? It's a reset for my yeah. brand, right? It's it's not resetting to absolutely blank everything. It's resetting to the defaults for my brand, and that's just the way it is. So yeah, that's sort of how I look at it. Not only that, but like sort of you know what's left in terms of um, you know CSS. I, I'm slowly moving it all over, so whatever is left in CSS will kind of remain there. But uh, there's a lot of great feelings with. Um, vanquishing a ton of lines of CSS code that you no longer need or maybe never weren't even using anyways. But, uh, you know, 
uh, were just sitting in your style sheet for legacy reasons or because they were required at some point and you missed that, right? I know there's tools to pull that stuff out, but uh, either way, there is a, a nice amount of uh, good feelings that come along with doing a bit of spring cleaning and really thinking about your app from a component-based style if it already exists. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the last one, which is style JSX. Um, and this is the one that comes baked into uh, Next.js, if you've ever used that before. Um, and the way that style JSX works is it's actually not the same as the rest of them where you, you create a paragraph tag and you apply styles to it. Um, the way that it works is that you simply just have a style tag in your component. So uh, maybe you have a div and a paragraph and H3 and a couple other things. And then you, what you do is you just pop open a style tag and then you just write regular CSS inside of that style tag. But the style tag will have a JSX attribute on it. And then what you can do is your selectors are just like paragraph or uh, you can use class names if you want, but, but generally you can get away with just using element selectors, H3, paragraph, whatever. And it's going to scope those styles to only the elements and components in your, your main component. So, uh, it's not going to leak anywhere outside. So you just write regular old CSS, but the, really the only difference between this and regular old CSS is that the CSS will be transformed and only applied to those elements in that component and nothing else in the entire application. So same benefits, just slightly different way of authoring it, which to a lot of people is is welcome because it's it's exactly like CSS. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and say there there's one thing that I don't like about uh, style JSX and that it doesn't to me, this is me personally. If, if you're not this way, don't worry about it. Uh, it doesn't feel more readable when I look at the code. Um, mm -hmm. like I said, with styled components, I look at the element and I, I'm no longer seeing a div, which is like an arbitrary definition, right? I'm seeing a card, but with this, I don't, I don't get that same sort of, um, further clarity in my CSS or in my components, which is why I would choose something else over this. I do like that you can write legit CSS in this, but yeah, I think it doesn't add, it doesn't get any clarity points for me uh, personally, which is probably why I'm not using it. Yeah, exactly. And I think with style components, obviously with both of these, you can, um, you can create these reusable components that are only style based. And then you have other components that does all of your logic, you're fetching your data and whatnot. Um, and you can you can reuse these buttons all over the place and they're just like just styled buttons. Um, and with style components, the it the style.div, it actually exports a component right for you. You don't even need to make like a um, an arrow function component or whatever with React on this. So uh, pretty neat in, in that regard. Um, I, I, I've built a couple things with style JSX and I built a couple things with um, style components. And I'm definitely on team style components now. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a, here's a question I have for you. Uh, that's not related to anyone in particular, but more about styles. I guess it makes more sense with things like emotion and, and style components or, uh, anything where you get an actual component. How, what, what is your particular style of, um, storing your styled components? Uh, for me personally, I have sort of base components and, and things that I use all the time within their own files and file structures and stuff like that. But then I also have a class of styled components that live within an individual components file, which sort of breaks some rules about one component per file. Yeah, uh, but I, I'll, I'll throw it at the bottom of the React file so it kind of stays out of the way. And this might be an extension on a component that only exists within this particular React component, and that's it. Um, I, do you do something like that, or, or do you have more of a uh, everything lives in its own folder and file kind of thing? Yeah, it's funny because we were just talking about this whole idea on Twitter the other day with uh, Apollo enhancers. The same idea. It's a high, or high order component. Do you keep that in a separate file or do you put it in the same file? And um, sort of what I've settled on right now, and I could be swayed either way, is I always do them in the same file just for my own sanity's sake, especially if I'm trying to teach something to people. Um, I want them all I want them all readable in the same file. And if I need that thing more than once, um, I will put it into its own file and import it, import it in. So it's sort of like a, as I need it, I'll 
all refactored out into its own component and import and export. But in a lot of cases, you only need it in that mm -hmm. one file and you're really not reusing it all that much. So uh, I think it's totally fine to put it in the same file. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly how I do it. If it needs to be re reused, um, things like layouts, buttons, uh, that sort of stuff, headers, paragraphs. Yeah. Yeah, typography Which stuff. Which I think makes people who love rules twitch because people always ask me, like, what do you do? And I'm like, nah, kind of a bit of both. And it kind of feel it out depending on what I want. And people love, like, strict rules of always do it in a separate file or always don't. Um, and that's just not the, <laughs> the way that I'm going about that. So sorry if it's making you twitch now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Again, a benefit of not being on a large team here because um, you can make those decisions that... <laughs> that uh, might be a little bit confusing for some people in your overall team or might make maintainability a little bit of an issue or whatever. I don't know. I, I totally agree. If this if this component is not leaving this other React component, then what is the purpose of moving it to its own file? But yeah, again, I, I could be swayed either way. Cool. Um, let's finish it up with some common questions that myself I've had, as well as you sort of hear maybe people ask about it. Um, one of the big ones is what about a framework? What if I'm using a framework like Bootstrap or Foundation? How do I then use that framework as well as use my my styled components? So um, I'll answer this one from a standpoint of styled components. You still have the ability to add classes onto your elements regardless. So you don't have to go all in on this. You can just add a classes. With style components, there's the ability to add an options object where you can uh, give it additional class names as well as give it your own CSS. So th that's what it will do when it creates the element at the end of the day. It will give the, the CSS class to it. So no need to sweat it. You can definitely use both of those uh, and, and build a nice app as well. Have, have you had to use those together, Scott? I haven't. I haven't done much work with uh, CSS frameworks really overall, or at least not recently. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great solution though, because then you still get all of that, that good stuff it comes with. And, and, you know, it's nice that the tools offer that ability to not have to totally abandon all of that stuff that exists and makes, uh, some people's lives a lot easier. So, yeah, exactly. It's, even if you're like migrating something over as well, you might want to, uh, take the existing styles class and then start applying your new stuff on top and slowly phase out that, uh, that class name that you've had. Yeah, totally. Um, what about vendor prefixing? Do you know anything about this? Uh, to be honest, uh, styled components, I think, brings in a certain level of vendor prefixing that you can uh, adjust. Does it not? Yes, it yeah. is exactly what it does. I was going to say, because I haven't thought about auto prefixing since I started using styled components. You know, when you're inspecting your CSS, you can see it's getting those prefixes. Uh, I, I'm embarrassed to admit that I did not look into the configuration of that. And I was just like, oh, okay, it's getting the prefixes. Okay, cool. Yeah, it, it just works. Um, so uh, you don't have to worry about it because I believe all of these things we've talked about today come with auto prefixer built in. Um, and then if you ever do need to pass additional options to these things, you generally can do that in your, your Webpack config or your next.js config. Word. And then the last one we talked a little bit about already, which is what about Emmet and syntax highlighting, which I I have not personally gotten Emmet to work within VS Code and style components. And I have syntax highlighting working um, definitely if it's in its own file, but if it's a part of a, another React component file, uh, it becomes a little bit trickier. I mentioned before that if you have things like this extra media query syntax that um, the second layer of code wasn't getting syntax highlighting for me. So I don't know if you found any other solutions for any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so the way that these editors work is that you have scope. Um, and what scope means is that you can write some regex to tell your editor that when you are inside a style tag, you are writing CSS. So all that needs to be changed in these things is that you need to rewrite one of those regexes that will tell you when somebody writes style.div or style.something, it will kick in the CSS syntax highlighting rather than the JavaScript syntax highlighting. Um, so, and, and, and then once that's the case, all of your plugins like Emmet and whatever, all of your auto-completion, all of your things that are only triggered when you're in the scope of CSS uh, will then start to work. So um, 
Sublime has absolutely nothing for this right now, which is a bit of a bummer. I think it's because um, it's a bit we're a bit limited in Sublime mm-hmm. in terms of how much fine grained control we have. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why VS Code and Atom are becoming so popular right now is that uh, you don't have to wait for the mothership to uh, add in something to the JavaScript highlighter. Like, for example, in uh, the JavaScript highlighter in Sublime was broken for a long time when we started writing ES6. So somebody wrote this thing called Babel or Babel uh, syntax highlighter for Sublime, and that was able to highlight all the new ES6 stuff as well as highlight uh, JSX, right? Because JSX is not part of JavaScript, but someone is able to modify it. So now we have to wait for either the mothership of Sublime Text to update it or wait for the person who's writing the Babel one to to implement this as well, which is kind of a bummer. Um, and I know Adam and VS Code allow anyone just to go in there and, and add them themselves rather than having to wait for your your syntax highlighter to do it. So uh, I'm definitely looking at switching over to VS Code right now just because of this. I don't know. I don't know if there's any movement in Sublime, but I haven't seen a whole lot of uh, info about it. Yeah, I'm 100% in, in VS Code territory lately. I think some of the uh, some of the issues that I might be having might be related to the Insiders build that I'm on. I'm on like a beta version of VS yep. Code, and they actually use an entirely like new Emmet system. Um, which I have found because it's obviously it's in beta. Uh, I found to be extremely uh, buggy from time to time, but obviously it's beta version, right? You can't expect anything else. So uh, that to me has been sort of bouncing around um, um, each each update that comes, each nightly update. I'm sort of like, oh, please fix this and this. Okay, yeah, <laughs> sometimes they're fixed, sometimes they're not, sometimes it breaks, whatever. Again, yeah. that's what you get for trusting beta software. Exactly. And this stuff, I think, will be fixed soon. I hope will be fixed because there's no way that we're going to get big adoption of CSS and JS before all of these things are 100% fixed. Because uh, if you tell any developer who's used to doing their job, everyone has deadlines and you try to switch them to a new method of doing it and tell them to get the same amount of work done, they're going to be extremely frustrated not mm-hmm. to have the regular tooling and um and highlighting that that's available to them. Word. Cool. So let's switch over. Is, is that good? Yeah, I think that's good. Cool. It's, we're at an hour, so. All right, let's switch over to our sick picks. What do you got for me today, Scott? Yeah. All right, I have a email client for OS X, or I guess it's Mac OS now. <laughs> I, always, I search everything <laughs> Mac or OS X, and I have to research for Mac OS. Okay. Uh, this is Boxy, and this is boxyapp.co. Uh, Boxy is a paid mail client. It's cheap. Uh, let me see how much it is here. For, yeah, Mac OS, it's $4.99. I was having major struggles trying to find a nice email client. I, I opened up Apple Mail because I just got a new laptop. I opened up Apple Mail for the first time in a century and was like, well, let's check out Apple Mail. It looks the exact same. It sucks. It it honestly, <laughs> I feel really bad saying that. I think one of their developers tweeted at me when I said it was archaic looking. Uh, I, I felt really bad about it because like, no, I mean, the, the, whoever works on it, I'm sure that it's it's all Apple legacy stuff. But it it honestly, it, it felt old. It felt clumsy. It felt uh, featureless. So I started looking for mail apps that had a lot of the features that Inbox has. I used inbox.google.com for all my mail stuff because of the snoozing and the sorting and the pinning and all that good stuff it does. And Boxy is essentially a, you know, a, I don't know if it's an Electron app. I would assume it is, Uh, but it's essentially Inbox for Google on the desktop. And it has a bunch of fancy features that uh, are outside of the scope of uh, Inbox so I've been using it. It's really nice. It feels and looks just like Inbox. It has themes. It has account switching. And they just had a new version come out like this week, like a day ago or so, like Boxy 2. It's, you know, the next version of it. Uh, I actually haven't even downloaded the second one, but the first one is so good um, that, uh, yeah, I'm assuming this is just going to be the next step in, in making it super nice. But overall, definitely a big fan. If you're looking for a nice email client, that's pretty cheap, $4.99 on the Mac App Store. Yeah, I, I bought this after you had recommended it. And uh, so far, so good. I'm, I'm not totally sold on Inbox 
feel like it's a bit not as information dense as I'm used to in regular Gmail. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like I'm, I often will like lose emails for some reason, just because mm. it's like, it's a little bit scattered in terms of seeing everything at once. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 I'm wondering if they'll, they'll be, have the ability to make it a little less spaced and, and more information dense. See, to me, this is like the, it is like the exact same as the desktop or the, yep. uh, the browser version. And, um, I really have, I've been using it since it came out. And that, that interface for me has been like my primary email interface for like a year, two years now, whatever. And, uh, I think that's probably why it's not so shocking to me. <laughs> you know, I, I could definitely see it. It's, it's, it's different and it does take a little bit of getting used to, um, uh, but coming from inbox and if you like inbox, it's basically the same thing. So you're going to love it. So, Yeah. That's my awesome. sick pick. Sick. That is a sick pick. Yeah. My sick pick is the Apple AirPods that I, I got about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And uh, when they first came out, everyone had their jokes. They're going to fall out. You're going to lose them. They look like toothbrushes in your ear. Um, but they and then whenever you see someone get them, they can't stop talking about how amazing they are. So they are incredible. Um best headphones besides the Bose QC35s, best headphones I've ever had um, because there's no wires. Being able to go to the gym, go for a run, um, just you just pop them in and you don't have to worry about, you can put your phone in your pocket and zip it up. You don't have to worry about having a wire or dropping it or anything like that. Um, the pairing process is incredible. So you flip it open and all of a sudden it, it comes open on your iPhone and it shows you uh, what the battery is on the both headphones as well as what the battery is in the pack. Um, and then you and then when you put them in your ears, it turns on. And when you take them out of your ears, it detects that you've moved them and it will unpair them immediately. But then you just put them back in your ears and immediately so you don't have to like mess around with the Bluetooth. I hate Bluetooth so much. It never works properly and I'm always stuck in this like pairing hell. Um, and it's just like a seamless experience, uh, being able to hook it up to my iPhone as well as to my, to my computer. So, um, I'm pleasantly surprised that they, uh, they were, they're so nice. Uh, I, I thought that they would be a, a bit of a bomb. Nice. Yeah. I'm still a little skeptical cause, uh, I'm, I'm on the Android camp, so I'm sort of waiting to see what Google puts out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they look super nice for Bluetooth headphones. Again, also in the 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 position of hating Bluetooth generally. So uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if Google can put out anything. But those AirPods, uh, that whole process seems really super nice. And that's the last thing you want is a pain in the ass for pairing when you're trying to just listen to anything really. Yeah, exactly. And you can also just put one in at once and leave the other one charging in the case. Um, and the battery life so far has been been really good so uh not nothing but but happy about these nice super nice uh yeah what about uh shameless plugs any any shameless plugs that we got today uh i don't have anything to plug really i i'm so like uh, i'm working on this large figma series and it, it's it's great but i don't want to re- release it until i release my new subscription payment processing and all that sort of stuff so I, i'm hunkered down i'm just trying to get this out i've been working pretty heavily in the uh the subscription and payment area and stuff like that and i can confidently say it's going to be done in like the next week here i'm just uh getting the final ducks in a row sort of with everything and then after that there will be a new uh new and large figma series for me basically teaching you the entirety of figma so uh, keep your eyes open for that and oh, I guess here's a decent shameless plug. The uh, subscription service for Level Up Pro, when I migrate over, um, because I've had so much exclusive content now, uh, the price is going to be going up. So if you want to get in at the $899 price now, where it's $95 a year, uh, if you get in now, you'll hold on to that until you cancel your subscription. Whereas if you wait maybe like a week or two and this new series comes out, it's going to be 19 bucks. So Ooh, uh, get in. Yeah. If you get in now, you'll hold on to that for all of the future content I release. So, uh, yeah, that I guess that is a shameless plug here, even though I didn't think I was going <laughs> to. There you go. Make sure you grab that. Uh, I'm going to plug Umar Hansa. I don't know if I butchered his last name, but he has a course called Modern Dev Tools. And I got a lot of times people emailing me uh, asking if they'll if I'll tweet their course or plug it or, or send it to my email list or something like that. But um, 
I've actually learned quite a bit from Umar's uh, dev tools tips. You probably have seen them all over Twitter. Anytime there's a animated GIF showing a tip in dev tools, it's most likely his. Um, and what he's done is he's bundled it all, all up and built this really amazing course called Modern Dev Tools. And it just goes into like all of like the like the hard parts of Dev Tools. Obviously, anyone can inspect Element, but some of the performance stuff, part of some of the uh, more advanced Dev Tool stuff, it, it's crazy how much that goes into Dev Tools that we don't even know about. Um, and uh, he gave me access to this. I've watched a couple of them so far. It's really really good stuff. I'm excited to dive a little bit more into it because not only is that going to make you like a better developer and quicker at debugging, but I think it's also going to help your performance of your website. So you know exactly like, what am I looking at, at this like yellow and blue graph? What does this actually mean? So yeah. That's that, at uh, moderndevtools.com. Those uh, dev tool, I mean, this, the dev tools in Chrome are totally invaluable when you like really dive into them. So yeah, I haven't seen this course, but I'm definitely going to check it out after hearing this sick pick. Sick pick. Oh wait, that's cool. not a sick pick. That's your shameless plug. That's, that's pretty, a, a shame, shameful, pl shameless plug. Yeah, shame, <laughs> shameless. Yeah, that. I mean, that's a sick pick, shameless plug right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think these things are kind of the same, but whatever. Uh, so that's that's the episode. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed it. Uh, feel free to angrily tweet your CSS and JS opinions at Scott. He is Estelinski. Yes. Let me know what I'm doing wrong, please. Spare me all of your opinions, please. Uh, that is <laughs> that's it. We'll see you next week. See you. Bye. Head on over to syntax.fm for a full archive of all our shows. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player and drop a review if you like this show. Until next time, peace.